0: Uh, It is a privilege to be here. I'm at High Desert Church. We are in the High Desert. I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, But I also am blessed to have my wife with me on this trip. My wife, Wendy, had surgery about five weeks ago and said, I am coming no matter what. (laughs) And so I said, yes, we love to have her, and she is a gift to me. On the day that we departed Los Angeles, that was about two weeks ago, on that Sunday, we celebrated our 35th anniversary on the plane. So our 35 years of marriage, we're at 35,000 feet of elevation, and as on that flight, we're talking, and I began to sit on maybe what I could share with you today. Our experience as a couple, as a family, kind of placed into my own heart things that needed to be spoken to me, and I thought I would share some of those to you today. Thirty-five years together is a long time. And in that time, you begin to see how the seasons of life change. Some of you are older than I, some of you are younger, but you have those moments where you have that moment of singleness, and you hope to get married, and then you maybe get married, and then you hope to have kids, and then maybe you have kids, and then you finally see the kids leave your house, leave your home, leave your flat, and your life changes forever and it goes so fast. As we say in the, in the States, don't blink or you may miss the journey. Because time goes so quickly. But in those moments, there are times in your life where God gets a hold of you and draws your attention to something. 26 years ago, my wife Wendy and I were living in the northwestern states of the United States. There there are super tall trees. There are mountains. A place called Oregon. And God was moving us to the dry deserts and brown hills of Southern California. The world we left in Oregon was idyllic. It was wonderful. I was a pastor there, and we had lots of friends. We had a great church. Uh, We had a beautiful home. We had a safe community. We had uh, amazing outdoor recreation areas. There were lakes, and there were rivers and mountains to explore. We loved living there. Ten years we lived there, we were pastoring And then God called us to the desert. Like Moses, I wondered if I had sinned or maybe Wendy had sinned. (laughs) To have to be taken away from that environment. But we packed up our belongings. We drove the nearly 2,000 kilometers from Oregon down to Southern California. On that journey, we had two young daughters. Our daughter was three and the other one was one. And as we're traveling down, we began to enjoy that journey with children for that long journey. Within a few years later, we added another daughter, and then finally we added our son, and life was spinning quickly, like a merry-go-round, turning around and around. We were just trying to keep up. And we moved to the desert. We began to learn we did not know desert life. We knew mountain life, we knew beautiful life, but now we're in desert. We had to figure out where to live, where our kids might go to school and be trained. Where we would have friendships develop. But more than all of that, Wendy and I longed to build a home that honored God. Spiritually, we wanted our lives to count for something to make an impact for Christ. That was our driving force. But then on the other side, we were living in California. California has so many wonderful things about it there's beaches and there's sunshine. And, okay, there's beaches and sunshine. That's good. <laughs> There's a lot of things in California that weren't that great, but as we moved to California, we wanted to enjoy California and all it offers without being Californiaized. Now that's not a real word, but I think you know what I mean. You guys live in Cape Town, and I hope that you enjoy all the positive and life-giving elements that come from being in this city. But at the same time, I also hope that you consider how you can live in Cape Town without being Cape Towned by the society and culture and life around you. We all recognize the power of a place, the place where God places us. And so Wendy and I prayed that God would protect us from those influences and simultaneously keep us moving into our culture, not eroding our faith but building up the faith around us. So 26 years ago when we drove into the desert, by the way, it was 40 degrees Celsius when we arrived. We were cooking food on the sidewalks. <laughs> but this was a question in my wife and I's mind, and I want to probe this for you today to think this. How do you build a family that honors God while living in the middle of a broken down world? Because I don't care how amazing Cape Town is, it is still broken down. And the high desert where I live is still broken down. It's a real concern. It's a concern such that even Jesus spoke directly to this in John 17. He said this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And I love this. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You see, no matter what stage in your life, wherever you're at, no matter where you live, Jesus Christ is sending you into the world. He is sending you to make an impact for the kingdom. But whether you or your family survives that and thrives in that depends more than just good intentions. Your family's future depends on how you respond to God's word today. I want you to hear that. Your family's future depends on what you do with God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. This is a familiar passage. And it's always dangerous to prepare a a message where a passage is very familiar to the audience. But this is what God put in my heart to say today. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let me give you the background to this briefly. Moses has led the people of Israel into this place called Canaan. It's the promised land. And he is standing with the people on the eastern shore of the Jordan, looking out toward Jericho, toward this promised land. And he is standing there. He has a final set of teachings he needs to give from God. This Deuteronomy, this second giving of the law, he is now declaring it to these people. Their parents, had, most of them have died in the wilderness. Now a new generation is about ready to enter this land. This is where they'll raise their families. This is where they'll impact the world. But Canaan was corrupt and broken. You see, Moses' question was very similar to the one I asked, and it should be similar to the one you're asking. Because Moses was drawing this question of, how do you live in Canaan without becoming a Canaanite? the same question that we have to answer today. We live in a different place in a different time, But that principle is still true, the same challenge. And now, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read God's word. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm just going to quickly cover this before we dig into more of the middle section of this chapter. But right there you see Moses is saying there is a commandment. It's a A commandment that God told him to speak, and it's singular there, right? This is the commandment. And it seems what he's saying is there is a singular commandment that's made up of statutes and judgments linked together, that these would be things that would cause the people to thrive, that would cause them to enter the new land and make the most of that experience. It was not meant to be a burden. Most of the time we have laws and we have rules and we think they are burdensome. And God said, no, I'm giving you these laws, these commandments, these statutes as a life-giving aspect of who you are. And it also was a strategy to know and love God. Earlier, Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Moses said, I'm teaching you these commands. It's the same concept. God is giving his word to you and I. So that when you live in a broke down world, that you could live there with integrity and purpose and passion. Knowing and obeying and submitting to God's word. That is how it's going to happen. Knowing, obeying, and then submitting to God's word. When you do those things, Canaan does not creep into your heart. Cape Town does not take over your thoughts and your passions. The high desert doesn't rule our home. But it does require action. So if you want a life that honors God, I have three kind of points we're covering if you're taking notes. First is that God's word must first be internalized. That's an I word. I'm going to have three I's because I'm a pastor. We all energy. God's word must be internalized by you. Taken inside God's word must be internalized. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to jump into verse 4, perhaps one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. This is what is known as the great Shema, that Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, Shema. It comes as a way of saying this is something you have to pay attention to. And notice here it says, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. This verse means that Yahweh is totally unique. He is alone God and he is singular. He is one. He is three in one, but he is one God. And this God reaches out to you and me for one primary purpose. And that is that we might love him back. That is what he longs for us. When you get a list of commands, you would not expect perhaps this to be the first thing that's mentioned. You might have a list of to-dos. I get a list of my wife to go to the store to buy things. Right? And You've got to go through the list. You mark them off. Jesus God is going to declare to the people of Israel, here's what I need for you to do. And the first thing he says is, I need you to love me. The first on the list. Why does he do that? Because he knows that rules do not transform. Love does. Rules don't change a human heart. The love that we have for others does that. If you've been married any length of time, you probably have had a relationship with your wife or or husband where you now are different because you love that person. You make changes because you want to please them. That is what God is saying here. Love defines who you are. Love motivates you to grow. It empowers you to press on in difficulties. It compels you. It moves you to change. If you remember the New Testament, years later... The religious leaders ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, right? Singular. He says the greatest commandment, that's an easy one. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind thrown in there for the Greek audience. And then to love others as yourself. He says everything can get wrapped up in those two realities. Loving God is the beginning to a relationship with Him and it's the foundation. Hear me, it's the foundation of a godly home. And there's also a link between loving God and loving God's word here. Moses is affirming that the love that God that we have for God actually flows from His word. It is not something that generates inside of us necessarily. It generates from taking this, putting it into our hearts, therefore we give back to God His own word because it is pure. And when we love God, it changes our obedience from a burden to a joy. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commands. The Apostle John said this, in fact, this is love for God, and he defines it, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, they are not weights. When you love someone, the things that someone might ask of you become joyful rather than burdens. And how much more so than the God of the universe who has given us everything through His Son, Jesus Christ. I bring that up regarding your home life and being a parent, being someone who influences others, because if you say that you love God and you really struggle loving what His Word says, you have a disconnection. You cannot say, I love God, and yet I don't like what He says. They are joined together. Joined in such a way that you see here that you do this, you love him, love his word with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Every aspect of who you are now says to God, I love you and what you say and what you do. In every aspect. Every person in this room, this is true about. That's single you, that's married you, that's mom you, that's dad you, that's grandma you, that's child you. Everyone in this room has to get this one first. To love God with all your heart. And if you are a parent and you want a home, I love the fact you've got a parenting class coming up. What a great timing. Um, if you want to have a home that honors God, you first and foremost have to love God yourself. You cannot give away to your children what you do not possess. That kind of love creates a foundation for your family that will carry on. But I internalize it has to go to you first before you can ever share that. Number 2, and this is where we'll spend most of our time this morning together. God's word must be impressed on your kids. It must be impressed on your kids. Verses seven through nine say this, you shall teach them those commands, the commandment he mentioned earlier in verse one and two, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up, you shall, you shall also tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates Moses had watched an entire generation struggle with their relationship with Yahweh. He knew that faith, the love of God, does not transfer automatically from one generation to the next. It is not just because you have a child that they are going to feel and love and feel trained with God the same way you do. It's our job as parents to impress God's word onto the hearts of our children. That phrase, in my, I'm using a New American standard. I know we all have kind of different versions, but that phrase, teach them diligently, carries the idea of repetition, something that happens over and over again. In fact, in the Hebrew language, it literally means to sharpen or to etch, like cutting. One prophet named, I mean, one, uh, one uh, writer said this. He says, The image is that of an engraver on a monument who takes a hammer and a chisel in their hand and with painstaking care, etches the text into the face of a solid slab of granite. The sheer labor of such a task is daunting indeed, but once done, the message is there to stay. That is the idea behind that, that God is challenging you and me to etch His truth into the hearts of our children. And if you're older, into the hearts of your grandchildren. repeating daily the powerful truth of God's word so that your kids begin to grasp for themselves how wide and how long and how high is the love of Christ. Do you have that chisel? And are you doing that in your home? This makes sense to me just on a practical level. I think God is highly practical. Practical. Because when my kids were little, my kids now, I didn't even explain it. My kids are 29, 27, 20. Do you forget the ages of your kids? 29, 27, you know, 24, 23, so 25 and 20. My son's 20. So my kids are all grown. But I remember these days, the earliest stage of the development of their life. My kids are reading me more than they're reading anything else because they can't read. But that does not mean they are not reading. My children started reading as soon as they observed my life. They're watching you. They're looking at your life. They're reading what you value. They're reading what you believe. They're reading how you see other people. Simply by watching how you live. And that's why it's so important as parents that we we link our life with God's word. Because left to our own devices, we will lead selfishly. We will live for our own values. In a moment, I'm going to unpack how you do that. So I'm going to come, we're going to land here. I'm going to unpack how you do that. But first, let me remind you that this principle is true of anyone wanting to please God and impact your world. Everyone in this room, I don't care what stage you're in, has the opportunity to etch your, your passions Etch the word of God into others around you. The apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four, verse nine, says, "Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you." He invited the church in Corinth, "Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ." So, if you're here, and let's say you're single, or maybe you're married and you don't have children yet you are still called to impress, to chisel God's word into the lives of those around you. It will look different than parents. I get that. This Deuteronomy 6 passage is for parents passing along, but that idea behind it is the same. To say, I am responsible to still make God's mark in the lives of those around me. Think of someone in your life that does not know Jesus Christ. Do you have that person in your mind? A friend, a co worker, a family member who does not know Christ, how are you taking this and carefully, intentionally, and gently chiseling God's word into their heart? That is our responsibility. So when I begin to talk through now the parenting role, I hope you, if you're not a parent in the room because you're either single or maybe you're ugly nesters, you, you don't have kids in your life, recognize these principles apply to you as well. Hear me when I talk and then say, how can I put those into my life? So here we go. Everyone ready? Good. You're still good. Oh, good. We're good. First, Moses starts in these verses defining when this etching work actually happens. Right there in verse, uh, let it see here, there it is, verse 7. When you sit at home, you see that there? When you sit at home, think of mealtime, think of helping with children's homework, think about listening to music, cleaning your rooms. Does anyone here have a chair or a couch in your room at home? Anyone have a chair? Do you have something you sit on at home? You guys don't. Okay, I have two people who have chairs. We need to get help here. (laughs) Pastor Denver, we're going to work on that. If you have a chair to sit on at home, God is saying you can do this. When you sit at home, take God's word and place it in your kids' hearts. The next line there, when you walk by the way. It implies you teach your kids God's word when you go places together. Maybe it's to the grocery store. Maybe it's on a hike maybe in an outing, a vacation, maybe you're taking your kids to a practice for sports or for music. How many of you walk? Okay, we're getting better. I'm getting a few more hands. You walk with your family. When you're walking, when you're doing life, you can now take the truth that is here and begin to sprinkle that into those moments. Moses says it's, it's when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and then he says, when you lie down. Do your kids ever go to sleep at night? Some of you think, no, they do not. They should go to bed earlier. But if your kids go to bed at night, what do you do before they go to bed? How do you invest that time with them before they put their head on the pillow and say, good night to you? Are you filling their mind with God's word and with the truth about who God is and what he is trying to accomplish in their life? And then finally, when you rise up, Moses says here, when you get up in the morning, have you taught them how to start the day right with God? Every angle, every situation, every opportunity in life is a time for you to place God's word onto their hearts. For some of you, you're very busy and you're saying, "Uh, Kurt, I have a lot going on. How much more can I bear? I'm doing all these other things. This really was not meant to be a burden. It assumes that if this is in your heart, it naturally will flow from you to others. It is not more work It is taking what you already do and just leveraging that to the world around you. We're all busy, all tired. That is when we can do that. When you sit and when you walk. When you lie down, when you get up. But now look at verses 8 and 9. He goes to the how. How do we do this? We... Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I love the permanence of those words. Tie and bind and write. Moses is pointing out how firmly attached you and I should be to God's instruction. That it is with us in such a way that it's latched to us. And then in these passages, it's just so clear. There's four simple ways he does it. He talks about the hands, which reflect our actions. God's word should be latched into your heart so your actions are what he would do. He says here, your forehead, uh, the Hebrew here is literally between the eyes. Put it right here so in your mind, your mind simmers and thinks on the word of God. Your door frames point to the place that you go to bed at night where you, you sleep, whether it's a home or a flat. In that location, let the word of God permeate everything and your gates emphasize the extended relationships that you and I have with the world that is lost that don't know who God is you look at these verses here and I hope you see what's happening in America we have dominoes we have dominoes here okay this is a domino effect as you as a parent fill your home with God's word and you fill your vans or your cars with God's word, or you fill your daily schedule as you walk to the park with God's word, what you begin to do is the the love of God begins to take hold of your life, and your kids begin to see it. Your kids begin to start picking up on that. So your love then tips into your children. Your children start to feel the weight of God's love, the weight of his joy, the weight of his purpose, and your kids begin to take hold of that. And then those kids begin to grow the other family members when they arrive. I always tell people, get the first child right. If you have more than one child, get number one right because number one's gonna help two. If you get one wrong, you're in trouble. So work hard to get number one right because number one is gonna carry over to number two child. And your home begins to grow in the love of God. And you're like, I can't believe how this is working. I love God. My kids are starting to get it, and my first child is helping my second child do devotions. Oh, that's so sweet. And then your family begins to grow together and stronger in their faith. And eventually, as you do life out in the world, people around you will look at your family and they'll say, your family is different. Your family, there's something about your family that sticks out in a crowd. What is it that's making you so different? Why do your kids love and respect you? Why do your kids live in such a way that it seems like they get honor upon honor? What is going on here? It's because the love of God that you started with dominoed into your children and your children into the children into the children and the world's watching going, I want that. Man, if I could have that in my home, how much better life would be. And that's where we point them to the gospel. If you're not a parent, don't assume this doesn't translate to you either. If you have a job, or if you travel, or if you work in the villages, out and about, if you are in stores, whatever you do, you're interacting with people that are watching you just as strongly. They're watching your life. They're watching who you are. Tie, bind, and write God's word onto your life. I find it interesting, this idea of binding God's word to your life was actually... Taken quite literally by some of the Jewish people. They actually wore little verses in, in small boxes and strapped them to their foreheads and to their arms. They put them there because they wanted to obey this literally. And so they put God's word there. Even if today, if you go to Israel, and you travel to Israel, they have a mezuzah, which is a little tiny box they stick next to their house. You actually, if you go into hotels, they have them on the hotel doors as well. And inside those mezuzahs are usually this scripture, Deuteronomy 6. It is something they took quite literally. And I don't really know whether that is the intended purpose to take it literally, but to be honest, this is what happened is they missed the boat. They took it and wrote it down, but they didn't write it here. They etched the word onto paper. They didn't etch it onto their human heart. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 23. I told you I'd be in Deuteronomy 6, but I'm cheating. I'm going to one other passage. Deuteronomy, I mean Matthew 23, verses one through seven. Jesus is talking and he is dealing with this Pharisee world mindset. And he says this in verse one. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them or much so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries. That phylactery is those boxes they placed on their forehead and their hands. They brought them, they made them longer, and they lengthen the tassels of their garments and they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, being called by men rabbi Jesus is going back all the way to Deuteronomy 6 saying what was meant to be placed in their heart they are outwardly trying to look holy trying to look like the word of God matters to them by writing it on their hands placing it in a box on their forehead And Jesus said, avoid that. I'm new to South Africa, so this may, may not be true of you. I think it is. <laughs> but it's true in America. Lots of families that I encounter try to live externally, what never became a reality internally. You and I may not tie boxes, and our friends may not tie boxes of the Bible verses on our hands and our forehead, but you might be trying to look the part of a Christian without submitting your life to God and His Word. Trying to act like Jesus without being filled with the Spirit and being actually like Jesus is one of the most tiring frustrating and draining activities you could ever have because you are trying to look like something you're not which you know then that you are a fraud and yet when you submit your heart to God he transforms you from the inside out so that you can do the very things that you want to do we are not perfect none of us are but your family needs you not to tie phylacteries on your head and write scriptures on your arm. Your family needs you to be engraven with the word of God in your heart. You cannot effectively lead your family to Christ tomorrow unless you walk with Jesus today. It just isn't impossible. I'm going to give you three quick examples of how to do this. They're very fast. Hang with me here. How do you do this though? How do you take the word of God and while you're walking and talking and sitting and lying down when you're tying it on your head, what's it look like? First, you need to be attentive. You need to be attentive to the opportunities that God gives to you. So let us say that you're in a store and the clerk gives you 200 rand too much change. And you get this 200 rand back and you know it's too much. What do you do? no you go back in right you say hey I was given too much change I want to make this right because this is the right thing to do you give the change back step one is great is that a moral decision or is that a spiritual decision you see you have the opportunity to take that conversation and talk to your children about that and say kids why did I go take that back and return that and your kids might start with saying, because you didn't want to defraud them. Yes, that's true. But I serve God. And it's more than just defrauding them, I am pleasing the universe maker. I am pleasing the one who actually values that person who may get in trouble when their till does not come out even. I am thinking of the others. Love others more than you love yourself. I am dealing with the God of integrity who is going to be the judge of all living and dead. There's an opportunity to take a small thing and leverage that for the glory of God. Be attentive. They're everywhere. Look for them. Number two, be balanced. Be attentive to the opportunities and be balanced. Each of us has to find ways both to be corrective of our children and celebratory of our children. And my opinion is that everyone in every room I've ever talked to is imbalanced. In your life, you are typically either the celebratory parent or the corrective parent. You lean one way or the other. And if you don't know who you are, ask your children, they'll help you. What you have to figure out is how do I balance my approach to my children? How do I pour into them in such a way that I am not always correcting without encouraging and celebrating what God is doing in their life? How do I avoid simply celebrating when there are significant spiritual gaps in their heart and acting like they're not there? Figure out who you are and begin to lean back to the balance of that so that you celebrate and you correct to create a nice approach to parenting. Finally, number three here, be creative. Be attentive, be balanced, and then be creative. Finding new ways to share insights and perspectives and truth in God's word. I just think this is so important. Well, you and I are created in the image of God. He is the most creative being ever. If you look around the room and look at the faces in this room, the, the, the uniqueness that we have in this room. Created by the hand of God. Look at creation around us. He is the most creative. And I think when we come to his word, this could become stale. There's a professor from Dallas that I used to listen to. And he says, shame on you if you make the word of God boring. That is terrible. Because it's the most life-giving word we could have. So as you're going through life, figure out creative ways, not just lecturing to your kids. They love that. Sit them down and lecture to them. They love that. I'm joking. They hate that. But sometimes that's necessary. But find other creative ways to be in their hearts, and their lives, so that it draws them. Just like Jesus Christ drew the crowds to himself. He spoke in a way. Remember, he had authority like none other. He was engaging. He told stories. He was interactive. The, The way Jesus took the word of God was powerful. Constantly learning it for yourself, that you can share it with your family. Many years ago, my wife and I took a family vacation, and we're driving through a mountainous part of the central part of the United States. And there are massive rock formations, and we had been hiking all day. And so we got done, and the six of us hop in our van, and we start driving, trying to go back. This place called Bryce Canyon. If you ever want to look it up, it's gorgeous. And I'm driving through Bryce Canyon, and it's at late. It's right at dusk, right at the, when we're getting, the, the sun is going down. And our van, we're singing this song. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Heaven and earth adore. Creation longs for what's in store. May we live honoring and glorifying to you. We lay our lives down. And we're singing this song in the van, and we had the loud... And the windows are down and we're just singing with God and so fun after a beautiful day in his creation. We turn around the corner and off into a meadow to our right had to be 100 or 200 deer just sitting there. And you guys see these all the time. I'm in California. The only wildlife I see is down by Hollywood. And we stopped and I'm sitting on the side of the road and I didn't turn the music down. The windows are all down, and it's super loud. And the deer did not move. And I I was surprised. It was almost as if the deer looked at me and said, we love the worship songs. (laughs) Because they're worshiping God with us. And we're sitting there, and and we sing the entire song. And I turned the radio off, and I said, kids, put your heads out the window for a second, and look at the stars. Look above. What do you see? And we began to talk about the creative power of God, and the fact that he made things beautiful. And I said, turn to each other. What is something you see in your brother or your sister? What is beautiful in this moment? And they begin to celebrate the image of God in each other as a way to glorify what God has done. We just sat there. And we worshiped God as a family. And in that moment, God's word was etched a little bit deeper under the slab of their soul. They still talk about those events. God will give you those moments if you're aware and looking for them. Let me wrap up with this last point. You and I need to internalize the word of God if our home is going to be transformed. You and I need to impress the word of God upon those in our world whether it's our direct family or even friends co-workers the last thing is practicing God's word when you put it into practice it insulates you from an empty life and I'm going to go quickly through the section but I wanted to at least finish here verse 10 you could follow along as I read Then, Moses writes, It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself, lest you forget... The Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. When you take the word of God, it actually insulates you from Cape Town. at least the parts of Cape Town that you need to be insulated from. It insulates our family from the high desert and from California. The word of God is like glue. It sticks to your heart. And it causes things to attach to your soul that will protect you. But if you lose focus and fail to keep God's commands there is a slippery slope ahead of you. And he kind of walks through this, and we're just going to go through this quickly, but you'll see here, he says, watch out that you will be satisfied. One of the greatest dangers you and I have in life is comfort. Getting comfortable. Whew, I've made it. I have everything that I need. I am happy. Moses would say that is very dangerous, because comfort most often leads to apathy. Apathy meaning, I don't care what God thinks, I'm comfortable. Apathy, even right here in this word, leads to us forgetting God. Comfort. Apathy. Apathy leading to forgetting God. Forgetting God then results in disloyalty. You shall not follow other gods or the gods of the people. When you have that happen, you become disloyal to God. And disloyalty leads to disintegration of your family, of your life, and your home. Comfort to apathy, apathy to forgetfulness, forgetfulness to disloyalty, disloyalty, disintegration. This is true in our relationship to God, and it is true in our life with just our family and friends. I've done many counseling appointments with marriages. This is what happens. A husband becomes apathetic about their wife. He forgets all the reasons he fell in love with his wife at the beginning. And forgetting why he fell in love, he then becomes disloyal to her in an action. And that disloyalty leads to a disintegration of the home. Same true of a wife. This is true of children who walk away from the Lord. This is the warning he has for us. I was at lunch yesterday with someone. He told me a proverb down here. I didn't know what it was, so I thought I'd ask him to explain. He goes, it's like hippo ears. They're above the water, right? But there is something beneath the water that's very dangerous. When you have apathy, when you have comfort, sometimes it looks very innocent but it leads to something far more dangerous if you do not know it's there. Your kids are watching your life. They are listening to you. They are making up their minds about their faith by watching you. A quote I came across once says, Home is where life makes up its mind. Home is where life makes up its mind. So I challenge you today to let God's word saturate your heart, your life, And then share that with those in your world. And in doing so, you'll bring glory to God and you will live that good life that God promised to the Israelites and to us. Let's pray. Father God, it is good to be here today. Good to know and to love and to serve you, Lord. Good Lord, to be reminded of our responsibilities to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. God, I pray for anyone here today who does not know you, that you would draw them to yourself through your spirit. Would you cause them to see you clearly, perhaps for the first time, and admit their need of a savior to call out and say, yes, I do need this savior I am sinful and broken. I have tried to do life on my own and I give you my life. That you would have that person believe that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for our sin. To believe that his death on the cross could accomplish forgiveness. And if they, God, would also then finally choose to place their faith in following in you. For those people, if you're here, you can do that quietly in your own heart to call out to the God of the universe and say, it's time, God, that you have all of me. May you bless our day together, God, and cause us to be a blessing to others, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.